going to be taking a break from our sermon series through the book of 1 Corinthians this morning and instead look at the birth of Christ on Christmas Day. And so you can turn in your Bibles if you'd like to Luke 2, 8 through 14, but we're going to be hopping around to different passages. This is more of a, a thematic, uh, topical sermon rather than a uh, verse-by-verse walkthrough. We're going to be looking at the birth of Christ. So Luke 2, 8 through 14 to start, and then we'll be moving around. But first, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Heavenly Father, once again, we we gather for assembled worship and we come and open your word. We ask that you would teach us, give us uh, the illuminating power, the the light of, of the Holy Spirit to see the truth of your word. We ask that you would use your word to bring conviction, to bring assurance, and to elicit praise. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Christmas is the day as followers of Jesus Christ that we gather to celebrate the birth of our King, our Savior. And he was sent to save his people from their sins. It's a time to praise God in worship and song and, and in prayer. And in addition to gathering on the Lord's Day and worshiping this, this Christmas Day, different households, different families have different traditions. Maybe they have a special ornament that they put on the tree that, that points to Jesus. Or maybe they read the birth narrative from the scriptures as a family. Um, different kinds of... Uh, family traditions, but there's also what we might call Christmas add-ons. They're, they're things that aren't necessarily um, scriptural, but they're things that as a, as a, as a people and as a culture we've, we've kind of picked up along the years. There are Christmas trees, there are Christmas, Christmas music, there's Christmas cookies, Christmas parties, Christmas stockings, and of course a lot of Christmas decorations, a lot of red and green colors. Uh, decorating for Christmas. But the granddaddy of all, of course, is Christmas lights. There are Christmas lights everywhere at Christmas time. We put Christmas lights on our trees. We put Christmas lights outside of our homes. We put Christmas lights on our homes. We put Christmas lights in in downtown areas. Cities and and municipalities decorate their downtowns with lights. Uh, Businesses put up lights on their property. Sometimes there are Christmas Light contests, uh, maybe formal or, or informal, between neighbors. Uh, they've even made a reality TV show about Christmas lights and, and trying to have a contest to see you can outdo one another. There are lights everywhere. Sometimes there are displays that people can drive through and view during Christmas, during December. Sometimes they charge admission to, to drive through and look at the lights. Maybe you've even seen a sweater uh, with Christmas lights, a little hidden 9-volt battery somewhere that provides lights on, this, on the Christmas sweater. They're everywhere. They're all over the place. This morning, on Christmas Day, I want to talk to you about Jesus. And I want to talk to you about how he is the light of the world. And before we get to the end this morning, we want to answer three questions. Number one, who is this Jesus that was born in a manger in Bethlehem a little over 2,000 years ago. Who is he? Number two, how is he the light of the world? 
And number three, why do we have so many Christmas lights? Why are there so many lights at Christmas time? So first question, who is this Jesus that was born in a manger in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago? And for that, I want to read Luke 2, 8 through 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring to you, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So the birth announcement of Jesus included this description, a Savior, Christ the Lord. Let's unpack that that title, that name, Savior. First of all, Matthew one twenty one says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what the angel meant when they announced that Jesus would be a Savior. He would save his people from their sins. We, we all have sin. We all stand before God guilty because of sin. We, we know the law. If we were to go down just a few of the commandments, thou shalt not murder And remember, Jesus told us exactly what that meant. Not only is it the physical act of killing someone, of taking a life, it's it's in your heart, it's in your head. If you've had evil thoughts, if you've been angry towards someone, you've broken that commandment. You're a lawbreaker. You're a sinner. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Again, not just the physical act, the heart, the thoughts. So if we've ever had a lustful thought, if we've ever had any impure thought run through our mind, you're a sinner. You've broken that law. Thou shalt not steal if we've ever taken anything from anyone of any value at any age even if we were a child we've taken something that doesn't belong to us that's stealing we've broken the law thou shalt not lie we've all broken that one we've all told a lie we've all failed to tell the truth completely at some point thou shalt not covet have we ever looked at someone else and wished we had what they had Have we ever been discontent with our position or our station in life or our our health or our our family? Have we ever looked at someone and said, well, I'd like to have their life. I'd like to have their job. I'd like to have their house. I'd I'd like to have their husband or their wife. They seem to have it made. I don't like where I'm at right now. Yeah, that's, that's covenant. We've all broken all Ten Commandments and we have sin. And Jesus came to save his people from their sins because the penalty for sin is death. And it's not just physical death, it's spiritual death. It's eternal death in hell. Jesus came to save his people from their sins by taking that penalty for sin. He took the wrath of God that we deserve for our sin on the cross so that when we place our faith and trust in him, that penalty's been paid. And and we no longer stand under the condemnation of God. We no longer have to pay that penalty on our own in eternity in hell because Jesus paid it for us. And then, of course, he credits his perfectness. Jesus never did break any of those commandments that I just went over. He, He kept them perfectly. That perfect record is imputed to the one who places their faith in Christ. 
That's how he is a savior. He, he performs saving work on the behalf of his people. So he's savior. He's also Christ. Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. Messiah was someone that the Bible prophesied would be coming, that the, the, that, uh, the Lord promised the, the people of God were expecting a deliverer, and he was called the Messiah. He was the one who would be anointed by God to accomplish the deliverance of his people. That's what Christ means. Lord. Lord can mean master. It can mean owner. It can mean one in authority. Or in certain contexts, it can be a divine title. And that's what it is here. So he's all those things. This Jesus, who was born in a manger in Bethlehem approximately a little over 2,000 years ago, was divine himself. He was God taking on human flesh, becoming incarnate, this unique one-of-a-kind virgin birth conceived by the Holy Spirit was so that God could come down, become a man, and live a perfectly righteous life. He was anointed and he was given the task of delivering and saving his people from their sins. So that's who Jesus is. He is Savior, Christ, and Lord. But how is he the light of the world? Let's look at Isaiah 49, which says this. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light... For the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. In Isaiah, Jesus is called sometimes the servant of the Lord. He is the Son of God, sent by God the Father to accomplish the work of the Father. And earlier in chapter 49 of Isaiah, Jesus speaking says, And he, meaning God the Father, said to me, You are my servant. And then later it says, And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him. Well, Jacob is, is shorthand for Israel, the, the covenant people of God, who had, who had wandered away, who have committed covenant unfaithfulness, and he was to bring them back, bring them back to, to God spiritually. But what the people of God were unclear about under the old covenant was that God's plan of salvation extended beyond simply ethnic Israel. God was concerned about more than just saving the people who had Abraham's blood in their veins. He was concerned about gathering all of his, all of his elect from, from all nations throughout the globe. And we see this message repeatedly in the New Testament. There are several passages that are dedicated to communicating this truth that, that God is no longer simply the God of Israel. He's the God of, of all people, of all nations, all who turn to him all who put their faith in Christ. So Isaiah 49, 6, this is a prophecy announcing ahead of time that Jesus is coming to be Savior, Messiah, the Deliverer, not just for Israel, but for all people. And he would do that by being a light to the nations. What kind of light? Well, not literal light. It, it not light like the sun gives off or that the light bulbs give off or that the lights on a tree give off, but spiritual light. Spiritual illumination of the heart and mind of people so that they could see clearly who God is, who, who we are as people, and our need for a Savior. 
So it's spiritual light that reveals all those things. The truth about God, the truth about us, and, and that need for, for being saved from our sins. In contrast to that light, those who live apart from God's light, apart from his salvation, are in the Bible referred to as living in darkness. For example, Proverbs 4.19 says, The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Similarly, Psalm 82.5, They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. So in, in Scripture... And we're going to see this more clearly as we get into the Gospel of John. We have this contrast between light and darkness. Spiritual light, spiritual darkness. Jesus, as the servant of God, was born to be the Savior of all people, regardless of their physical connection to Abraham. And he is the light of the world who would shine brightly for the nations, not just Israel, but for the nations, so they could see the truth about God and about themselves and their need for a savior. Because prior to Christ coming, prior to the light, spiritual light coming into the world and shining on the nations, the nations were in darkness. They were in darkness. They did not worship Yahweh God. The nations outside of Israel, they did not worship. They didn't come to the temple in Jerusalem. They didn't offer sacrifices rightly. They didn't know God. They were in darkness. So as a result, they worshiped everything else. They made up religions. They made up uh, idolatrous practices. They, they worshipped uh, gods of their own making. They worshipped the sun god. They worshipped the moon god. They worshipped the sea god. They worshipped the land god. They worshipped the god of fertility. They worshipped the spirit of the sky and the spirit of the bear, the spirit of the eagle. I mean, you name it, they worshipped it because they were in darkness. They did not have the light. They did not know the truth of who God is, who they were, and their need for a Savior. But with the birth of Christ, the light began to shine on the nations. And that has continued throughout the New Covenant age. Throughout, as, throughout the time since, since Christ's birth until now, we've seen that Great Commission expansion of the light and of the gospel going forth to all the different nations and calling people to God. Well, let's look at light uh, in the New Testament. Let's look at uh, light in Simeon's prayer. Simeon was a man of God in Jerusalem, and he had been promised by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he saw the deliverer, before he saw the Christ. And of course, God kept his promise. It came true, it was fulfilled, and he saw Jesus, as he was brought to the temple. And after this, now we're presuming, old man Simeon saw Jesus in the temple, he uttered this prayer. He said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So glory to your people Israel. The people were already looking for, for the promised deliverer. This was not going to be a surprise to them. They were eagerly waiting for it. But for the Gentiles, it was going to be a light for revelation. That spiritual light that revealed the truth about God, about themselves, and their need for a savior. The Gentiles had not seen that light before. 
Let's look at light in John the Baptist. John the Baptist had been given a mission from God. He was to prepare the way for Jesus. John 1, 6 and 7 says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. Now that verse could have just as easily said he came to bear witness about Jesus because that's who he's talking about. But instead he says to bear witness about the light. The light. To witness, John was to witness, to testify, to proclaim, to point to the light. So that, the next part of the verse says, that all might believe through him. That is the intended purpose of the light. That is why God sent the light. So that people would believe in Jesus and have life in his name. When we look at these examples, we saw, G, we saw Isaiah, first of all. Isaiah talked about the light. Uh, Simeon talked about the light. John the Baptist talked about the light. And then when Jesus came, he didn't just talk about that light. He declared, I am the light. I, I am the light. I have come. I'm finally here. John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. Jesus isn't just talking about it. He's declaring himself to be the light. We don't have to wait anymore. I am the light. And that light is shining today in all nations. That light has gone forth on every continent, on every state of this nation, wherever the gospel is faithfully proclaimed, the light is shining. The light that reveals the truth about who God is, who we are, and our need for a Savior. For those who are in Christ this morning, on this Christmas day, you have seen the light, and you have come to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You have believed. John, uh, 1 John 5.13 says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that's believers, that you may know that you have eternal life. Know that you have been saved from your sins. This Christmas morning, if you have turned to the light, if you are walking in the life, light, know that you have life. And know why you have that life. It is not because of anything you have done. We've all heard this before. We need to hear it again. It's not because of anything we've done. We haven't cleaned ourselves up and, and stand before God and say, well, now I'm, I'm good enough. That's not it. We're the sinners. We're the ones that have broken all Ten Commandments. Jesus is the one who stands before God righteous, and he is the one who credits our righteousness, his righteousness to us when we place our faith in him. It's, it's an exchange. It's not us, it's Jesus. That's why we can have eternal life. And that's why we can know we have eternal life. Because it's not based on something as shaky or as inconsistent as our performance. It's based on the rock of Jesus Christ. It's based on his steadfast faithfulness towards us, his covenantal faithfulness towards us, not ours towards him. So know for sure that you are saved. For those who are not in Christ, if there's anyone here this morning Who's, who's not in Christ, please understand, you have now seen the light. You've, you've heard Jesus proclaim from scriptures, you've been told plainly, in fact repeatedly, that that light shows who God is, who we are in relation to God, we're sinners, and our need for a Savior. You've seen the light. If you do not turn to him, know this, you are continuing to choose to walk in darkness. 
you're choosing to walk in the darkness. This is what the Bible says. John 3, 19 and 20, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For anyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. And there are two typical responses to that from, from someone who's an unbeliever. Number one is this. They'd say, well, yeah, I, I hear you, but I, that's not me. I don't do wicked things. I'm not an evil person. I'm, I'm a good person. What do you call someone who has seen the light, who understands who God is, who we are, and our need for him, and who has been told that, that God desires all people to repent and believe in Jesus, and yet they don't? God calls that wicked. God calls that an evil person. It's evil is an evil thing to look at the cross and look at the blood of Jesus shed on behalf for the sins of his, of his people and say, oh, "No thanks, I'm good. I, I think it'll. I think I'll be fine." Number two, that's one response. Number two is, I don't want to give up my life. This is for those that have seen the light and they get it. They say, okay, yeah, I see where you're going with this. No, 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 no. Um, I know you church guys. You, 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 guys, you guys are you know, followers of Jesus. You, you want to read the Bible. You want to do all those things. I'm out. I'm, that's not me. I don't want to change. I like my life the way it is. I like the, living my life the way I live it. And I don't want what you're offering. I don't want to change my life. Not surprising at all. That, that is an unbelieving response to the gospel. That's, that's someone who does not have a desire for Christ or the things of God. We get that. I remember talking with one man and sharing the gospel, and he was at the exact, this exact point. He got it. He's like, yeah. I said, what's the matter? He said, well, I don't want to give up bow hunting. <laughs> he said... I said, I don't know what you've heard or who you've been talking to, but God is not asking you to give up bow hunting. You don't have to uh, get rid of that. The only thing that God is going to ask you to do is get rid of your sin. Uh, so if it's your sin that you're still hanging on to, then, then that's one thing. But don't think that you have to get rid of uh, bow hunting. The, the light has come into the world, and the light comes to each one of us personally as we hear it proclaimed, as we hear it or read it in Scripture. And our response, remember the intended response of Scripture to that light is belief, is response. And if God is convicting you, if God's working in your heart, if you, if you listen to those Ten Commandments and you thought, okay, yes, please understand, spiritually, that, that is confirmation, that's conviction, that's the Holy Spirit saying, yes, you are a sinner, you do have a need for a Savior. Don't walk away from that. And I also want to talk to, to those briefly that have been born into Christian households. If you've been born into a Christian household, and if you've been baptized, if you've been raised in the Lord, but for whatever reason you've not made a profession of faith, what are you waiting for? Because you're very quickly no longer being boys and girls, you're turning into men and women. Or, or maybe you already have. Your parents' faith will not save you. So there's no reason to keep delaying any kind of profession of faith. There's, there's no reason to hold off 
on committing to Jesus Christ. So, so profess your faith. Start coming to the Lord's table. And to all of us, turn to the light. The last question is this. Why do we have so many Christmas lights? Why do we have so many lights at Christmas? That was the third question. They're all over the place. They're even on sweaters. Why do we have so many lights? Well, let's walk it back. Today, if you walked in any store, you could buy all kinds of Christmas lights. Uh, regular lights, LED lights, colored lights, white lights, blinking lights. I mean, you name it, it's out there. But it wasn't always like that. Uh, some of us can remember back before LEDs, back uh, in uh, maybe, you know, 70s and maybe even 60s, where, where they had the big fat bulbs that would blow out and turn black and so you'd have to, to manually screw in another bulb into this string of lights and they had clips to go in your gutters. We had those for a long time. Uh, those go back all the way to about 1920. That's when GE first invented Christmas lights on a string that you could purchase for an affordable amount. It's about 1920. Um, before that, uh, it was in 1895 that President Grover Cleveland actually decorated a Christmas tree in the White House with bulbs. And, and that's what kind of spurned the, the, the track to want to wanna decorate lights on a tree. And that's, I think, what ultimately led to GE developing these affordable lights for people. Before that, it was 1882. Edward Johnson is the man credited with being the first one to, to decorate a tree with lights. There were, eight, there were eight colored bulbs on one string, and they were very expensive. Uh, in fact, it was said that it was a week's worth of wages just for one eight-bulb eight string of lights. So not very many people had them, only people like, let's say, the president in 1895. But before that, before that first person decorated the tree with lights, people used to set up the tree and put actual candles on it. Actual wax candles would be on the tree. And they would light them for just a few minutes and everybody would appreciate them and and admire them. And then they would blow the candles out because they were an extreme fire hazard. The reason people put candles on a tree was to signify the light of Christ. So the reason we have lights today and the reason there are so many Christmas lights at Christmas time is to signify the light of Christ. The truth, the spiritual light that shows people the truth about who God is, who we are, and our need for a Savior. And remember, God wants us to see that light and turn to that light in faith. Trust him for your salvation. Jesus said, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, know that you have life. And you have life in Jesus' name, and it's based on his work, not yours. If you have never placed your trust in him to, for, to be your savior, do it today. Turn to the light. Amen. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our savior and king, who was born in Bethlehem. We thank you that... He is the light that has come into the world. We thank you for the spiritual light that you've given us. You've opened our eyes to see who you are, who we are, and our need for our Savior, Jesus. Thank you that we can have assurance. Thank you that we can know with certainty that we have life and that our sins have been forgiven because of the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Amen.